Do you remember what it was like when you were a little kid waiting for Christmas to arrive? Some of y'all don't have to think very far back. Some of you have to think a little bit further back. So think back to what it was like when you were a kid waiting for Christmas to arrive. Do you remember the, the anticipation and the impatience and the eagerness that you felt? December felt like such a long month. I remember one time when I was a kid on Christmas Eve, literally by myself in my room, jumping up and down with joy because the wait was finally over and Christmas was here. So waiting is hard. Waiting can be hard. Waiting for something that you're really excited for is a hard thing, but it's a special thing. It's an important thing, and it's not just something that small children experience. We as adults have experienced different seasons in our life where we're waiting and anticipating something that we're looking forward to, something that we're excited about. So I want you to think of a season like that for you. Maybe you're in that sort of season right now, or maybe you have to think back on a big moment in your life when you were looking forward to it. For me, I think about times like when I got married or when we had our first kid. I remember having a, a countdown on my phone, counting down the days until our wedding day. So what are those moments for you? Maybe when you moved to a new city or started a new school or whatever it is, think back to that moment. Think back to the days and weeks and months leading up to that moment and all the things that you were experiencing, the sort of like nervous, anxious energy that you had going on. Waiting is hard, but waiting is special. Waiting is important because waiting is hopeful. And that's a really important thing, especially in our increasingly cynical age. Waiting recognizes that there's a reality out there sometime in the future, soon or distant future, that's better than the reality that I'm in right now. So it also alerts you to the fact that your current reality is somewhere on the spectrum of like either less than ideal or like just really, really hard and painful and tragic. So for my um, four, almost five-year-old son right now, the ideal future that he's longing for, impatiently waiting for, is a future that includes a remote-controlled monster truck. That's, that is the thing that he wants for Christmas. And he can't hear back there, but... Between you and me, he's going to get it, too. I'm excited about it, yeah. Um, so that's the future that he sees coming. But he's living in this current future that's less than ideal because in his world, it doesn't include a remote control monster truck. So today is the first Sunday of Advent, and like you've already been hearing, the, the themes as we're singing, lighting the, um, the Advent candle, you're hearing this, this theme of waiting, Advent is a countercultural season. It's countercultural because the broader culture around us, it doesn't like to wait. Because, like I said, waiting necessarily means that my current reality is less than ideal. And so we want to just avoid that and ignore that. And right after Halloween, Christmas is basically here, right? Not for the church. Christmas is not here yet. It's not here until December 25th. So I don't know what that means for you, but Christmas is not here yet. Advent is about faithfully waiting. And when we faithfully wait, we can better fully feast when Christmas arrives. Americans, we like to feast in ways that I don't think humans are necessarily created to feast. 
So Advent is this special season, this significant season, this invitation for you to lean into faithfully waiting so that soon when Christmas arrives, you can fully feast. So this morning, we're looking at this passage, this beautiful poem in the book of Isaiah, and we get to talk about what is it that we're even waiting for? That's important to talk about on the front end of this. What is it that we're even waiting for? All this talk of waiting, what does that even mean? And then what does our waiting look like? What are we waiting for? What does our waiting look like? So let's dig into this poem a little bit, but first, in order to better understand the poem, we have to better understand the context in which the poem was written. So it's 8th century BCE. We don't know if Isaiah penned this poem in Isaiah chapter 2 or if Micah penned it the, the same poem shows up in Micah chapter four. So if you flip in your Bible, if you can find the book of Micah, turn to Micah chapter four and you'll see this exact same poem there. So we don't know if Isaiah penned it and Micah borrowed it or if Micah penned it and Isaiah borrowed it or if it was just kind of swirling around and both of them borrowed it. But we do know that this, these four verses, Isaiah two, one through four, especially were these sort of treasured words among the Jewish people in the eighth century BC. It was treasured because in the midst of a really, really difficult time for God's people, it stirred up a lot of hope. So I've been imagining what this time would have looked like for God's people in the eighth century BC, living in and around the city of Jerusalem. There are a lot of different elements to life, of course, but I've just been imagining this one element of life for these people, and it was that they lived with, I want you to imagine this with me, they lived with the constant threat of war, the constant threat of war. So Judah is the southern kingdom of Israel where Jerusalem is, where Isaiah is doing his ministry. Just to the northeast of Judah is this country called Assyria, And the Assyrian Empire is growing and expanding during this time in history, and it's growing and expanding through violence and evil and insanity, just making crazy, insane decisions and destroying people in order to grow their own empire. So that's the sort of anxiety and fear that these Jewish people would have been living with every day, the constant threat of war. And not to diminish war in today's economy, but like the constant threat of war in a way that would not just affect a handful of families, but in a way that like, like utter and complete annihilation. Like we're all gonna be enslaved or we're just gonna be destroyed and wiped out as a people. Like the constant threat of that is what was going on in their heads. I was trying to imagine what this would be like for us today and there's really no parallel. The first thing that popped into my head doesn't work, and it's a little bit comical, but I'll mention it anyway. Um, It'd be sort of like um, if our northern neighbors in Canada were just crazy, like this war-hungry military machine, and you never knew, like, what they're going to do tomorrow. And so we're just living with this constant threat of, like, hey, are are we going to be, like, utterly decimated and wiped out tomorrow? Like, just living with that anxiety hanging over you all of the time. That's the context, like that's the backdrop, that's the background in which Isaiah and his contemporaries are reading and passing around this hope-filled, beautiful poem that we're gonna dig into. So think about, think about our own day and your own life. 
Think about that current reality. Like, what is reality like for you right now? Somewhere along that spectrum, again, of, like, less than ideal, all the way to, like, man, what in the world is happening in my life? Things all around me seem to be falling apart. Where are you, God? What sort of reality are you living with right now? Advent is this invitation for you to be really honest with yourself, maybe with some trusted friends, to be really honest with God about where you are right now, where you really are right now. And it's an opportunity, it's an important invitation for you to appropriately and rightly grieve that, to be present to Whatever it is that you're feeling during this season, whatever sadness or loneliness or hurt might be living in your heart, Advent is an invitation for you to be really honest and open about where you really are right now. Advent is an opportunity, an invitation for you to be really honest and open about where we are right now. And when we look outside, all of the injustices that we see all around us every day. Advent is an opportunity for you to be aware of and honest about where you really are. All of the anger that you feel, the passion for those injustices, for things to be made right, for injustices to be wiped away. So Advent is an important season. So with that backdrop in mind, let's look at this beautiful and hope-filled poem that was circulating around Isaiah's time. So verse one alerts us to the surety of this future vision that Isaiah is penning. So this is really important because we're about to enter, we've already entered our next sort of political season. So the sort of promises you see in this poem, they're not like the empty political promises that we hear, that you're like, I don't, can I, can I really trust that? Like, I've been burned before, so I don't know if I'm going to trust that. Like, there are roots here. The prophetic imagination is rooted in the divine promises of God. So these are visions, these are hopes that you can really count on and trust in. So let's start with verse 2. Let me read it for you. It'll be on the screen, and we're just going to unpack. Poems are filled with imagery. So we're going to unpack some of the beautiful imagery in this poem. In verse 2, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. So in the last days, last days, latter days, these are a couple of phrases that are used all the time throughout all of Scripture looking forward to this much-anticipated time when God will come back and make all things right, a time of both judgment and a time of victory for God's people, this future time that might be near or might be distant, we don't know, but we look forward to it, the last days. So in the last days, Isaiah sees in this vision, there's an imagery of a mountain that's raised up above the hills around it. Mountains in ancient Near Eastern thought were believed to be places where gods dwelled. So we see here in Isaiah chapter two that there is a mountain that is raised up higher than all of the other mountains around it, so high that all of these other mountains appear as as hills before it. So God, Yahweh, is rightly exalted and lifted high. And then we see this 
Um, this irony that, that nations are streaming to it. Rivers, of course, flow down mountains, gravity, right? Are you with me? But in this poem, this beautiful imagery, the irony is that nations are streaming up the mountain because as Yahweh is rightly exalted and lifted up, there's this supernatural magnetism. There's this miraculous magnetism and people are drawn and people are attracted. All nations, this diverse community of people are drawn in and attracted to the God that they see lifted high before them. Now, I know that that may not be the case for some of you in this room. Like I know some of your stories and I know that the God that you were handed isn't a God that you'd describe as attractive or magnetic that people are drawn towards and and drove streaming uphill, just running after chasing this God. But I want you to see that, that God, Yahweh, rightly exalted and rightly lifted up, he is incredibly attractive And people, you, all of us, are drawn in by the God that we behold. Look at verse three. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So this beautiful, diverse, multi-ethnic community of people are drawn upwards to God and they learn his law so that, this is good news, so that justice and mercy and righteousness finally flood the earth. Like all of the ways that God intended for humans to function together, all of that finally goes forth as the law of the Lord and the good word of the Lord streams out. And then in verse four, this is one of my favorite verses. He will judge between the nations and he will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So remember this backdrop. Remember this backdrop that's happening like it's always in the back of the mind of Isaiah's listeners, Micah's listeners, as they're hearing this poem passed around, this constant threat of war that these people lived with. And Isaiah here describes this vision for humanity that's filled with peace, but it's not just peace, it's more than peace. It's not just the absence of war, but it's a humanity filled with flourishing and love for one another, love for one another, love for neighbor. It's not just an absence of conflict, but it's a vision filled with rightness, righteousness, fruitfulness, shalom, shalom, like the garden in Genesis chapter one and two, all things as God intended for them to be, this sort of harmonious interwovenness, everything working the way that God intends for things to work. There are some concepts and images that that this like medium of just like talking about it using sort of like narrative and words, like we just can't get to the heart and the depth and the beauty of what's happening here. That's why scripture is filled with, with poetry. And you know, if you've been around Christ City for a minute that um, our church is filled with a lot of really creative and really gifted and talented artists. And one of our own, a good friend of mine, um, Ben Hancock, uh, did a series around these passages. 
And so what I want to do is, is I want, um, Ben's actually running ProPresenter today, so uh, Ben can kind of scroll through some of the series, and I want to read for you his artist statement. And I think as you see these pieces of art, Ben working with um, wood and stone and metal, like it'll stir up something in you that, that words can't. So let me read for you Ben's artist statement. And as I do, you can, um, can behold this beautiful artwork that Ben's created. So this is from Ben. These weapons, once used for aggressive attack and ultimately death, are now transformed into tools used to bear fruit. Their violence was stripped from them and they were given new creative duties. Ornamented with medieval patterns, they allude to being Gothic relics, carrying a sacredness that both contrasts the rugged practicality of both gun and tool, but also point to the holiness of discipline, restraint, redemption, and transformation. Isn't that beautiful? That's the image that Isaiah gives for us in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. These tools that were once used for violence and aggressive attack, ultimately death, are now transformed into tools that bear fruit, that are creatively used for human flourishing. Not just peace, but more than peace, shalom, all things working as God intends for them to work. So Isaiah pens this poem and his imagination and his heart is filled with hope and joy even in the midst of a very difficult, very much less than ideal reality. And then in verse five, we see like what, what happened, what like flows out of him as he's just flooded with all of this hope and joy as he's pinning these miraculous words. Verse five, what do we do in light of this hope-filled future? that we're waiting for. Verse five, come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Up on first glance, it's like, what, what, what does that mean, right? Like, that's not, what I that's not what I expected. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. But here's the important thing we see from Isaiah, that real hope in the future inspires action in the present. Real hope in the future, a future worth hoping for, inspires action in the present. So let's unpack briefly what this means for us. What does our waiting look like during this season of Advent? You know that we're, as a church, uh, for a few weeks now, we've been uh, doing something that's new for us, and our sermons are based on um, the lectionary, and so the lectionary is this thing that the church around the world and throughout time has used uh, to determine what we read together, what scriptures, what passages we read together, and then what we meditate and reflect on um, during our gatherings each week. And so each, each week, the lectionary includes several different passages. So the responsive reading we read earlier was actually the psalm from today's lectionary. Um, of course, this passage from Isaiah is today's Old Testament reading. There's a reading from the Gospels. And then finally, there's an epistle reading. And I think Paul here in Romans, in today's epistle reading, has in mind this poem from Isaiah. And I think he helps us get at what does it mean for us today in 2019. I almost said 2020. It's not, not yet. 2019. What does it mean for us 
um, to wait, to wait faithfully so that we can feast fully. So I want to read for you today's epistle reading from Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. Hear these words from the Apostle Paul. And do this, understanding your present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe, your, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Whew, that's a lot, right? But in verse 12, Paul is really clear. He gives us a negative and he gives us a positive. He says, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and then let us put on the armor of light. And this, perhaps in a verse, sums up the season of Advent. The negative, let us put aside the deeds of darkness. Advent um, is actually, it's, it's a penitential season. Like perhaps you're familiar with the season of Lent. Lent also is a penitential season. The liturgical color for the season of Lent is purple, just like the liturgical color for the season of Advent. It's a penitential season when we prepare for the arrival of Jesus. That's what the word Advent literally means. Um, it comes from a Latin word, Adventus, which is the Latin translation. I know I love etymology. Do y'all? I can just see whenever I'm doing this, everybody's like, anyway, I love it. So Adventus is a Latin word that is the Latin of a Greek word, parousia. And parousia simply means arrival or coming. So Advent is a season in which we prepare for the arrival, the coming of Jesus. And this preparation has historically for followers, followers of Jesus included this very, very, very difficult and hard work of self-examination, of looking inward, looking at yourself and taking a brutally honest moral inventory looking at yourself and assessing all of the ways that you're not walking in the ways of Jesus, not following after Jesus. It's a penitential season. Unfortunately, we often miss that because we're so busy. We're running around, we're frenzied so that we can't be present to and alert to what's going on inside of us. And so my, my, my passion for you this morning is to not squander this season of Advent. Personally, my wife and I were reflecting on this last night. Last year, last Advent was just this kind of chaotic running for us, this frenzied running for our family, that when we finally arrived on Christmas morning, like we were just kind of done. Can anybody else relate to that? So what would it look like for you to intentionally create space in your life for these next four weeks so that you can prepare well for the arrival of Jesus, so that you can look inside, do the hard work of self-examination. Where am I not walking the path of Jesus? Where am I not in line with his ways and the good ways that he has for me? 
What would it look like for you to, to slow down? Advent is traditionally a season in which Christians, fathers of Jesus, fast. What would it look like for you to take off certain things in your life, to step away from things, to give up things in order to create more space intentionally in your life? Potentially fasting from food one day a week. Perhaps for you, like something that I need, it's some sort of digital detox or giving up social media for a week or whatever it might be. What would it look like for you to intentionally these next four weeks create space so that you can prepare well for the arrival of Jesus? But then there's also the positive side of verse 12 in Romans chapter 13. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. This theme of light and darkness is all over Scripture, all the way from the very beginning. And during this season, we're reminded, like Diane read earlier, that there really is darkness around us, and if we're honest with ourselves, even inside of us. So Advent is this season when we both look backwards and we also look forward. We look back and remember that Christ has indeed come Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will walk in the light of life. Advent is a season when we remember that the light of the world has come and is growing progressively brighter. Paul writes in Romans 13 that our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. That the light is growing brighter and brighter in the darkness but the light has not yet come. So Advent is a season when we look forward, when we prepare for the day when the light will come in full, when all of the deeds of darkness will be exposed and light, good light, the way of life will flood the earth, will fill the earth as water fills the seas. So walking in the light, putting on the armor of light is living in Jesus, you in Christ, Christ in you. In his incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, living in Christ. You in Christ and Christ in you, walking in the light of the world. So, this Advent, may you experience the truth of this old phrase that I love so much. It's so beautiful and poetic that it's always darkest before the dawn. May you create space in your life so that you can feel that ache that is always darkest before the dawn. But may you have great hope because the dawn is coming and light is already shining forth. May you prepare well for the arrival for Jesus, knowing that our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this season and all the invitations we have in this season. And I do pray that we would not waste it, that we wouldn't squander it but that we would prepare well, that we would create space, that we would not give into the frenzy that's happening all around us. 
Would you set our hearts on Jesus? Would you be present with us as we're present in the grieving and in the darkness? And would you also give us hope that the day is near? In Christ's name we pray, amen.